Welcome to the Hereby Call podcast, where we focus on preparing the called and reminding the returned by sharing life-changing experiences from serving the Lord. Sit back and relax because you're listening to the best podcast of this dispensation. And the night before I was flying to Utah, I went into my brother's room and I was just crying. And I was like, Miles, I don't want to go on a mission anymore because it was really hard. I was seeing all my friends and they were putting on their Instagram stories, like all their jerseys and like their new shoes. Because they they signed with a school or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw like their locker room and that was really hard for me because I was like, at this point, I was like, I still didn't want to go on a mission. I was like going, you know, I'm like, it'll be fun. But deep yeah. down, I was like, this is, I was like, this isn't what I want to do. And my brother was like, Grin, what's more important, going on a mission or playing volleyball? Welcome back to the Hereby Called podcast. I'm your host, Jordan. And alongside me is my co-host, Zach. Hello. <laughs> and today we've got Corinne Hutchinson with us. Hello. So Corinne, let's start off. What was the name of the mission you served in? I served in the Tennessee Nashville mission. And I always like to ask people, what made you want to go on a mission? Wow, that, so I don't know, my story to come on a mission, it kind of starts about my junior year where I was, I was playing volleyball in high school and then I decided to switch and swim my junior and my senior year. And then my mom signed me up to go to an EFY in Provo and I didn't really want to go. I was like, man, we're just going to read scriptures all day and it's going to be <laughs> way boring, right? And then my bishop at the time was always like asking me like, Hey, are you going to go on a mission? And I was like, no, I don't want to go on a mission at all. I was like, I wanted to play volleyball in college. Like that was my dream. Yeah, Your mom did, right? Yeah, she did. So I kind of wanted to be like her, you know? Um, but I went to EFY and my counselor was like, Hey, you should like think of a question and ask it. And at the end of the week, then like your prayer will be answered. And so I was like, okay. So I asked a couple questions and then at the end of my prayer, I was like, well, God, should I go on a mission? And I just like, didn't think about it. And then the next day, I don't know if y'all have ever been to EFY, yep. but I have not. The, I didn't the, even know what it was until like I graduated high school. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, keep going. Yeah. So like at the, the beginning, there's always like a theme song and this song for the year was the way to become. And then as soon as it started playing, like the spirit hit me like a ton of bricks and was like, you have to go on a mission. And I was really mad. I was like, there's <laughs> no way. It's like EFY is like recruiting trips for missions. Really? <laughs> like- <laughs> yeah. So that happened the next day and I was like, Mm-mm, no. And then it happened like the third day and I was like, I still didn't really want to go. And then later that day we were doing a devotional and we were reading in 35 chapter 11 when Jesus Christ appeared and, you know, they heard the voice three times in my mind. I'm like, why are these people not even listening to Jesus? I'm like, like what's if- wrong with this <laughs> yeah. Like, it's such an easy answer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, if Jesus was talking to you, man, I would listen the first time. And after I was like, after the third time, I was like, wow, that's like me that I didn't listen in the third time. So that night I just prayed. And I was like, okay, Heavenly Father, I know that you need me to go on a mission, but I don't want to because I really wanted to go play volleyball. And so I was like, Heavenly Father, I'll, you know, do the best that I can so I can leave on my mission as soon as I turn 19. And so I did and I filled out my mission papers. And then, so that's kind of, I mean, I didn't really want to go on a mission, <laughs> but I'm so glad I went. And so it was kind yeah. of God kicking me in the, <laughs> kicking me in the back of the leg, you know, me like, hey, you really got to go. But I'm really glad I listened so, and I did. So speaking of third Nephi, the people when they heard the voice the way they describe it in the Portuguese scriptures is they say they heard it like in their, in the depths of their soul, like the Amago. So when you, 
let, let's talk about this for a second. Like when you felt the impression, like, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe my prayer's being answered. Like obviously the first time you kind of like, no, that's not it. Where did you feel it? Was it more of a, a thought or did you like, was it in inside you no, that you felt it? It was definitely inside of me. It was, I don't know. It was like the strongest feeling in the spirit I had felt up to that point in my life. It just felt like, I don't know that like my whole body was like, I just had like chills and I was like so warm and tingly, but I was also like crying because I was like, this is not what I wanted to do with my life. But I knew it was a spirit and it was so strong. And I was like, I, I there was no way that I could deny that it wasn't yep. the Holy ghost. That's awesome. So you have this, this really like life direction changing experience and you put in your mission papers and which means you were speaking with the Bishop that, you know, had kind of goaded you in that direction and, Eventually you get your mission call. What were your thoughts when you opened it up and read the Tennessee Nashville mission? At first I was, I like, I really like a couple, like a week before that I had a dream that I was going to go to Japan and I told my dad and he's like, no way. I had a dream last night. You're going to Japan. And then my mission call came. So I was like, I was like, I'm going to Japan. And then I opened it and I was like, Tennessee, I was like, Hmm, that's kind of cool. And then I kept reading and it was like, you're going to go to the Mexico Missionary Training Center. And I was Whoa. so confused. I was like, why am I going to Mexico if I'm speaking English? And huh. then I kept reading and then it was Spanish and I was like, no way, that's awesome. And then I kept re- reading and then they were sending me before my birthday before I even turned 19. And I was like, so it was just like all the emotions <laughs> like of nothing like- Nothing that was normal. Or what yeah. you so it was Nashville, Tennessee, Spanish speaking. Yes. So do you serve under the same- because Jordan's brother or brother is serving there. Is it under the same president? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so I did they're, see. They're in the same mission. Oh, yeah. Cool. I saw Kay there a couple of times. <laughs> so you go to the MTC in Mexico and then you come to Tennessee. What were, what were your first impressions of Tennessee in the South? Well, coming from Mexico too. Yeah. Like, like you I went from Arizona been, to Mexico. It's like three to Tennessee, shocks, right? <laughs> yeah. So when I first got to Nashville, we were driving to the mission home and it was in Brentwood and that's like the really upscale, like rich area. And I was like, oh my goodness, does all of Tennessee look like this? And I was like, this place is so nice. And then I go to my first area and it's the most like boonie town I've ever seen. There's only like one Walmart. There's like, there's, there wasn't a Chick-fil-A and I was like, there was nothing. There wasn't a Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> I know. There was just like cow fields and wheat and just like hay bales for miles. And I'm like, where am I? But I saw trailer parks everywhere, but I just immediately fell in love with Tennessee the minute I got there. What about, tell us about like kind of like the culture, like what was different coming from Mesa and like the Mormon bubble versus like the way they live? Like what's important to people in Tennessee and in the South? They just absolutely love God. Like every person has a religion and there are so many churches on every corner that it didn't matter who you talk to. They're like, yeah, I love Jesus. And like, it was so easy to talk to people about religion and about God because everybody grew up really religious. Like no matter if it was Baptist or church of Christ or Catholic, it was really kind of like, that was really cool. And then the other thing we have to ask you is the food in the South. Oh my goodness. I'm biased, but it's definitely the best food ever. <laughs> like Southern fried chicken, like Nashville hot chicken. That is the best food you'll ever eat. And then I also got to eat a lot of like tacos and Guatemalan food and Mexican food. And I think it was the best of both worlds. Absolutely. What was some of the weirdest or the weirdest dish you ever ate? Um, Probably raccoon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, like 
how you procure raccoon because you definitely can't buy it. Oh, it's roadkill. So they, they either killed it. No, it definitely had to have been roadkill. Or roadkill. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Well, I forgot about it, how much roadkill there is in the South. Oh, there's armadillos everywhere. Yeah. Uh, I don't never see a live, did you ever see a live one? No, I never saw a no, live one. They're always one. just dead on the side of the road. So you ate roadkill yeah. raccoon, right? Describe that taste to me. Okay, so imagine pulled pork it's like shredded okay, like that. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, an, I'm excited already. And then you bite into it, and it's really, really tough. And then as you bite it, just like all of the oils come out, and it's just okay. It's like you, you're losing me a little bit. <laughs> it's like you took a bite of I don't know pulled pork, and then you just like poured a cup of like canola oil down your throat, Ooh. and you're just like, mm, that's not good. So. <laughs> and I can't imagine there being much meat on a raccoon either. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. That's not, so how did, like, what did you, did you, was this, you ate straight raccoon or was it with like rice? And- so my meal that day was raccoon, antelope sausage, dove, and what was the other weird meat? I don't even remember, but it was just like a platter of meat, like sitting on the table and she's like, help yourself. And I'm like, thanks. And so, <laughs> it was know. all homemade, right? <laughs> yeah. That's insane. Yeah. The food of the South is a beautiful, beautiful thing. <laughs> Um, apparently you just put enough hot sauce on it. It's good. Right. Yeah. You just can't taste it. (laughs) So you get to your first area and one of the first people that you meet coming into your mission is your mission president and his wife. Tell us about president stone. President stone. He's an amazing man. He is so Christ-like and he's so loving that I knew if I ever had a problem, I could immediately go and talk to him. And they just really taught me how to have charity and how to really love the people, to love my companion, to love the people I serve, to to love the members and to really just, I don't know. I think that once you really love the people, you know, that's when like the real like magic happens in missionary work because you don't have any ulterior motives. You just really love the people and you just want to help them because that's just what your first like impression or reaction is. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of the people, there's some people that you had mentioned that had an impact on you that you wanted to speak about. Yeah. Tell us about Hunter. So Hunter is 16 and his mom, I taught her, she's a recent comfort as well. And she married a member who became an active after their mission. And so it was just like a part member family and we would teach his, his mom. And then after a while, we just really became good friends with Hunter. And he kind of asked us random questions just about like why we don't drink coffee or just like why we're on a mission. He's like, why do y'all wear those like funny clothes? Cause he didn't really, <laughs> he just thought we like dressed funny with like our dresses all the time or when we could wear slacks and stuff. But you know, Hunter would always ask really genuine questions and he grew up Baptist, but he didn't really have a, like a relationship with God. And then one day he was just like asking us and I was like, Hunter, like we can answer all your questions. So why don't you like, let us teach you if that's something you want. And so he said, okay. And we kind of just like started from the beginning and talked about God and Heavenly Father and Hunter really like loved food. And so we would always, you know, teach our lessons with like food analogies. <laughs> yeah. And there was one time we were like, I asked Hunter like what he thought a good relationship with his Heavenly Father would be. And he was like a purple Skittle. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I don't really know what that means. And then I was like, okay. So I'm like, do you like purple Skittles? He's like, yeah, they're my favorite. And I was like, okay, so how would you describe your relationship with God right now? He's like, well, probably a yellow Skittle. 
And I was like, do you like wolves? He's like, no, those are the nastiest ones. <laughs> and I was like, okay, Hunter. So as we teach you, we can help you get from like a yellow Skittle <laughs> to like a purple Skittle by the end. And he was like, okay. So that's kind of how we taught Hunter. And so I went home um, right before Hunter was going to get baptized. And so I was like, I taught him like my whole time while I was in my last area. I was there for probably about, I don't know, 10 and a half months. And so I kind of saw the whole progression of Hunter. And it was just really cool to see how much he had grown. He would just text us. And at the beginning, he would just like send us like memes that he probably shouldn't have sent us. And I'm like, oh my goodness. But then he would start sending us like scriptures and he'd be like, look what I learned today. And that's awesome. Yeah. I think there's an important principle there that you adopted was learning how to teach the gospel in a way that Hunter would understand it in regards to making the food analogies. I think there's a lot of times where, um, you know, what you learn in the mission, right? It's like the gospel is what I read and preach my gospel and that's how I need to teach it. But I think it's really awesome when people can break down the gospel into a way that is very personal for people. And just like you said, when I, to me, all Skittles taste the same, but, (laughs) but the fact that you can make that, I think that really helps him in, in understanding the principles of the gospel much more on a more, much more personal level that he could make that decision to be baptized. I think that's really awesome. Yeah. And especially that he felt comfortable asking you guys questions. I think that's where any relationship is going to start or blossom. So you had Hunter, another person that you, you wanted to speak about was Anna. Yeah. And Anna was a cute little girl from Guatemala. And so when I first got to that area, um, it was like one of those um, Hispanic homes where you just have a bunch of people that just live in them. Um, You had like friends, you had siblings and how they were all just trying to, you know, make their... Trying to get by. Trying to get by, you know. And so um, her uncle was the only member at the time. And so we would go over and we would start teaching... Anna and her cousin Barbara and then Santos was the only member and his son Freddie and they were all there and then um, Anna was so cute she was nine and at the beginning she was probably the shyest girl I've ever met and she would just like sit on the couch hold her little El Libro de Mormon and just like sit there and be quiet and then after a while she would start asking questions and knowing the answers to things and then she was kind of like getting ready to wanting to be baptized but she was really scared that her dad was going to say no. I mean, I can't imagine being nine and asking my dad if I could be baptized in some church. And her dad wasn't the member? No, he wasn't. And her dad, his name was Roque, and he didn't really like us very much. He would always come home extra late on the days that me and my companion (laughs) were at their house. And he would just feel like, oh, I'm so tired and just like walk into his room and kind of ignore us. And so I remember Anna was like, I want to get baptized, but I'm scared. And so we just like promised her a lot of like blessings that if she asked her dad that he'd say yes. And so she went and she asked him and he said no. And she was really sad. And then he was like telling her that, you know, she didn't really know why she needed to be baptized because she's so young and everything. And she was like, no, dad, like I want the Holy Ghost. Like that's why I want to be baptized. And he's like, okay, I'll go call your mom. And um, his wife and Anna's little sister, they were still living in Guatemala at the time. So we went outside and called her. And I remember that me and my companion and the whole family, we like knelt down and Santos, her uncle just like said the most beautiful prayer that like his heart would be softened. And I was just like praying so hard because I knew if the mom said no, then uh, there's no way Anna was get baptized until she was probably 18 or something. And he came back in and he said, yes, he said that her wife said yes. And so we were all so happy and excited. And then 
her dad actually came to her baptism. And then after her baptism, after she got the Holy Ghost, she was the most bubbly and energetic girl I've ever met. Like she was so excited. She always wanted to be the one to read the scriptures and she would answer all the questions. And then after we taught her two of the new member lessons, her dad came up to me and was like, I want you to teach me what you taught my daughter because she's not the same girl anymore. And so that was just like one of the moments in my mission where, I don't know, it like really changed me just seeing how much faith that she had and seeing the, you know, the power that the Holy Ghost really has to, you know, impact other people and also to change your life personally. Yeah. That's incredible. Anna sounds like super faithful. She is. Just like searching for the truth. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Uh, whatever, what happened with Ro- Roke? Roke. Roke. So he ended up getting baptized. That's so cool. It was amazing. So we, (laughs) I love that. It was amazing that their whole household ended up all getting baptized except, um, one person and, Oh, we'll get them. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The missionaries there, I'm sure they'll do a great job teaching him. That's amazing. Yeah. So Roki ended up getting baptized and it was, it was, he has a really amazing story too. We started teaching him And, you know, after a couple lessons, he just like in the middle of a lesson, just like shouted, he's like, I want to get baptized right now. And my companion and I were so like taken off guard (laughs) because we're just like, because he was so against us at the beginning. Yeah. And then at the end, you know, he ended up getting baptized. And I remember there was an hermano in the, in the war that gave him the Holy Ghost and, um, in the blessing that, um, when he was receiving the Holy Ghost, he blessed him that he would be like the start of many generations to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my companion and I just were just like started like crying and it was just like a really like spiritual moment in my mission. Um, because I know how, like what an impact that the two of them will have on like her sister and his wife and their other family members that are still living in Guatemala. That's amazing That's when, so you th- cool. when you like, when you take a step back, because a lot of times being a missionary, you know, it's like knocking doors and teaching lessons and then baptizing somebody and then going and finding more. But when you take a step back and look at the potential that those lessons that you taught have on future generations, you know, that's when you, like you said, you just kind of sit there and you're like, holy moly, this is, this is a lot bigger than just us. Yeah. That's awesome. It really is. Another person that you had mentioned is that you want to speak about was Sam. Yeah. Tell us Sam's story. Sam is, he looks just like Santa Claus. He was (laughs) even born on Christmas. Oh, awesome. And he married um, a member of the church. And so they, they kind of like formed their own little part member family and they were about, I don't know, 65, 70. And Sam showed up to church one day and I hadn't seen his wife before. So I went up and introduced myself and she introduced me to her uh, husband and he was so cute. He was wearing these like bright red shoes. He had like a black shirt with like red suspenders and like he had his long beard with his kilo glasses. And I'm like, man, he looks He's just like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was so cool. And so he invited us to come out to his, um, his farm for, for dinner that night. And I was like, okay. And my companion was talking to someone else in the chapel and we were, she was giving me directions to their home and I'm horrible. Like, I don't know my <laughs> North, South, East, West for anything and directions. Even the, now still? No, I still. Oh, people try to go back out. <laughs> Especially the South. It's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. They're just like, she's like, take Campbellsville Pike, go all the way down until you cross the county line. And then after you see that big fence up there, then take a right. And I'm like, oh man, I hope I can get there. <laughs> but we made it to the house and they had hot chocolate for us. And we were just like, cause it was in the winter time. So it was pretty cold. 
And we just like go and we sit down in their living room and my companion's making hot chocolate and I'm just sitting down and I'm talking with Sam and he owns a motorcycle shop in town and he, Sam's really cool. He loves God and he has really been on like a religion search his whole life. He'd been baptized 25 different times into different religions. He's covered. Yeah. (laughs) He got, yeah, he got his fire insurance plenty of times. Um, but he never really felt that the churches that he was, because he would tell me that when he found a religion, he would go all in with it. Mm -hmm. And so he tried to do that with the 25 others that he was baptized in. But after he was like, this just doesn't feel right. And so he just kept searching and searching. And then we were just talking and then he kept coming to church and he told me that the only reason that he let us come over to his house is because he could tell that I was genuine and that I didn't have any ulterior motives. And I, I think that goes back to what I learned from my first mission president, that really when you love the people, they can feel that and they don't feel like they're a statistic. They yeah, just, yeah. You know? And so we continued to teach Sam and he just, he just like loved it. It was really cool because his wife would always like sit down and explain things to him when we weren't there. And she just talked about how the two of them just had the goal of getting, you know, sealed and married in the temple. And she gave a beautiful talk at his baptism on the Holy ghost. And now the two of them are preparing to, you know, get sealed in the temple together. And, you know, it's just cool to see these people grow, but also to to help them realize that it's more than just getting baptized and that it's about helping them become eternal families so that they can live together forever. Now, did, did they get married later in life or had they been a couple of the, like had he, he had gone to church. He had been to 25 different churches. Was he married to her for like 25 years? No. So they had only been married for about six months. Oh, okay. So they had both been previously divorced. But he was coming to church on his own. So he with his wife. He yeah he was coming okay, with cool. her. Yeah. So That's like awesome. they they met. She actually her motorcycle broke broke down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so That's she took awesome. her motorcycle to his motorcycle shop, and then he he was like, the spirit told me that I needed to watch out for this girl. So he's like, okay, I'll just keep watching. And so then she left, it broke again. So she came back and then that's Tell you what, you marry me, I'll fix it for free. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Really? Yeah. So they always go on motorcycle rides together. They hold hands as they... (laughs) (laughs) Sidecar. Yeah. (laughs) They're so cute. Yeah. So he asked her out on, and they went to, well, he asked her to to dinner and she's like, I don't really know you. So how about we do lunch? It's a little more casual. (laughs) And so he's like, okay. And so they like went to lunch and then she didn't really want to get married again. She didn't want to marry someone that wasn't a member of the church, but as she was like praying to see if she wanted to date him, she really felt like he could be someone that could take her to the temple because that's awesome. His, her previous marriage, she wasn't ever able to get sealed to her husband for, you know, their own personal reasons. But now it's really cool to see how much he has grown in the gospel and how the two of them are just like working together and just loving it. So it was really cool to be a part of his journey. That is cool. That is cool. I think as you serve a mission, there's a lot of people that have an impact on you. And one person, we talked about President Stone. Tell us about President Weaver you know, and his the, wife. The Weavers, they have a really special place in my heart. And I just can't like talk about them without like crying because um, they just did so much for me on my mission. And I was a lot, I mean, I was really close to the stones, but I was a lot closer to, to the weavers. And I would, there was a couple of times on my mission where I had some hard companions and 
I would just call President Weaver or I'd call Sister Weaver and and just like talk to them and they'd give me really good advice. And I really just felt so much love from them. And I learned from, you know, the Weavers, the the why behind missionary work, the why you do what you do. And they talked a lot about how we're preordained for certain things and about how a lot of these people that you meet on your mission, you definitely made promises to, you know, up in heaven. They talked a lot about, you know, kind of more the spiritual aspect of missionary work and that it's more than just you. It's about these people and helping them to keep and make sacred covenants. That's awesome. How, how long did you have with each? Was had, it 50-50? Yeah, it was 50-50. Okay. So I had them both for about nine months, which was awesome. You, you mentioned that the Weavers talked about the, uh, you know, the importance of fulfilling these promises that we've made before. Was there anyone that you taught? It sounds like Sam maybe was someone that you feel like you had a, a bond with before this life or anyone that there was like a pretty, I don't know. It was, no. uh, it was like, I know you. Yeah. In <laughs> um, our second lesson with Sam, we were teaching him at the church and where we were teaching him about the plan of salvation. And we were talking about the pre-mortal life. And I remember I'd never said this to anybody, um, but I remember we were teaching him and I looked at Sam and usually I never really spent too much time talking about that. But I remember just like looking at Sam and I was like, Sam, you and I, we were best friends up in heaven. I know we were best friends. And I said, I promise you that when I came on my mission and I came to earth that I would find you and I would help you find the gospel. And ever since I told Sam that, you know, we just had a really special bond whenever we would go over and teach him and at the end, after his, he would always call me his little angel. Oh, and it was just really Sam's special. little helper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was his little elf, you know. <laughs> but yeah. That's um, awesome. And then the other thing was President Stone, or sorry, the Weavers gave you a lot of advice with, you know, dealing with difficult missionaries or, or just companionships. Was there any advice that you would like to give to people on how to overcome a tough companionship? Yeah, I think the best thing is to really just have open communication and probably to pray for your companion as well. Um, Cause I think it's a, it's really easy sometimes to probably just hold up, hold inside what you don't like because you're like, Oh, it won't really bother me that much later. But I think the best thing to do is, you know, to like compliment your companion, tell them what they're doing good, but then also be like, Hey, this kind of bothers me a little bit or, Hey, I think we could work together to improve this. And I think, Sometimes you really just need to kind of be bold, but do it from like a loving standpoint, because when they can feel your love, you could tell them, you know, anything. I had a companion from Mexico. She was probably one of my favorites and she could tell me anything. If, if, if it was like something I was doing wrong, something I could improve on, but I, I would tell her all the time, like you could tell me that I look so ugly in that dress and I wouldn't <laughs> even care because I know it was coming from a place of love or, you know, things like that. So I think it's important to give correction with love, but also you know, be bold and not be afraid to kind of, to give correction or to accept correction as well if you're not doing something. Yeah. And I think of the scripture, the Lord chasteneth who he loveth. It's the same with our companions and the people that we're going to live our lives with that. If you don't say anything, you're allowing them to like continue this path that might not be correct or might be damaging or whatever. And it actually shows love when you correct someone. Definitely. Might not always feel that way, <laughs> but, but like you said, if it comes from a place of love, it's, it's definitely the right thing to do. So you've been home for six months. How has all these principles that you've learned 
from your companions, from your mission president, from teaching people like Sam in your mission? How has that helped you in coming home in your, in your day-to-day life? It's, it's helped me so much. Like if you took the gospel out of the mission, it's really just a really good crash course for life. But I think adding the mission and the spiritual aspect, I came home really learning and knowing how the spirit speaks to me and how I'm able to trust in the Lord and like his will and the plan that he has, you know, for me going forward. And I think, you know, really developing that habit of scripture study and prayer has really helped me to be able to be more receptive to the little promptings that I, you know, get throughout the day. And I think that's really helped me to choose where I need to go to school, what jobs I need to take, um, what friendships I need to develop, what things I need to stop doing and start doing. And, you know, just kind of how to, to keep progressing, even though I'm not on my mission anymore. When you came home for, so when you came home from your mission, did you ever feel like you had no idea what you were doing because you had gotten so proficient you had built up your entire 18 months to become like this perfect. It's really hard to come up. <laughs> That's what I'm getting so at. Did you ever at, like, are you going through that right now? <laughs> <laughs> well, I went through it for like the first two months and I was like, okay, now I just need to transition. Like when you came home where you're like, okay, what do I do now? Like, I, I don't have a companion. Um, like what's my, purpose? what do I do? Yeah. Did you like, how did you, um, your second mission president had taught you defining the why for missionary work. How did you find your why? after being home? You know, it was kind of different for me. So I were in Nashville. Well, I guess it was more kind of the Spring Hill area. I was uh, playing volleyball with some of my companions in my district or a P day. And I ended up blowing out my knee. I Ooh. tore my ACL, my MCL and my meniscus. And so I came home. Triple threat. Yeah. yeah. That's what they call it. They call it the trifecta. There's nothing terrific about it. It's actually the worst thing you could ever do. It's very terrific. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Um, so I ended up coming home six weeks early. And so when I came home, I couldn't walk. I kind of just oh. chilled on my bed or like laid on the couch. And I would like wake up and I'd say my prayers and I'd read my scriptures. And I'm like, okay, now what do I do? because I couldn't do anything. So it was really, it was kind of good. And it was also kind of bad. It was kind of nice because then I could just kind of sit and I didn't, I don't know. I kind of had to really be patient with myself and I, I don't know. It was, it was like a good time to think and to reflect and to kind of figure out what I wanted to do. But it was also hard because I couldn't physically do anything. Yeah, And so I think it kind of helped me to adjust to being back home because I really had to just kind of like sit and to be still and I couldn't immediately jump back into anything that I had done before. So it was kind of... You had a little transition period. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I always find it interesting. Like I came home, I think I came home on a Friday and I had a job lined up for that Monday. So, and that, that, I know that helped me like just go like... Be engaged in something, right? Give it your all. But I've seen, I remember when Jordan came home from his mission. I came home during Christmas break. So there's like two weeks of doing nothing. Yeah. And I was like, dude, cheer up, dude. <laughs> rough. Yeah. Well, again, it's, you. I, I don't know that we talk a whole lot about it. Like you're so dedicated and you, I don't want to say you become a machine because, because that makes it seem like robotic. It. Yeah, yeah. But you, it, it is what you eat, sleep, breathe the gospel and, and sharing the gospel. Then when you come home and they take that name tag off and your calling is a little bit different now. Mm-hmm. Right. And you're like, Whoa, 
what do I do? You know, you don't have your whole day planned out anymore. (laughs) Right. You could wake up whenever you want to. You can go to bed when you want to. And it was just like, the mission is so structured. So you just like, know, and you don't have to make any big life decisions. Like I came home and I had to get a job. I had to find out where I wanted to school. I had to start applying to places and kind of making like, oh, well, now I'm an adult. Now I can't just wait till I get $150 on my missionary card to go buy my groceries. <laughs> you know, I don't have that anymore. Right. Don't have an allowance. Yeah. Going back to President Weaver, what do you feel like your why is being home? Because there is a purpose. Your mission is not your whole life. Like what's your why in coming home from a mission? What what drives you today? Yeah, we're interviewing you pretty heavy. <laughs> oh, we are. We're getting... Well, I, I just don't think enough... Like people, we talk a whole lot about missions, right? But we don't really talk about what happens when you come home. Oh, we haven't really. So, so yeah, what, what's driving you now? Like what is your... What are you chasing? What am I chasing? I... Like what am I doing with school? Like that kind of thing or... Yeah. So like much like when you were preparing to... or. Well, you weren't even preparing to go on a mission. You went to EFY, right? Yeah. And you said, uh, I didn't mean that in a bad way. You weren't even, you weren't even preparing. You went to EFY. You said your prayer. You heard it once. You heard it twice. You heard it three times. And you're like, okay, this is what I need to do, right? In seeking that same type of revelation since you're being home, like what, what, how has Heavenly Father worked with you differently now that you know how to talk to him and you know how he sounds? How was that pushed you into what you're doing now. Okay. So when I was getting ready to come home, my parents were asking me where I wanted to go to school. And I didn't really know because I'd always planned on going to play volleyball in college. And I was like, I won't have to worry about it. I can just go where, you know, my scholarship was that type of thing. But I ended up deciding to go to BYU-Idaho. And then as I was coming home and I was like praying and I like picked my classes and it was going to be in person. And then all my classes were online. And I was like... I was so upset. I was like, are you (laughs) kidding me? I just want to go somewhere else. And so I ended up like praying about it and I decided to, you know, stay here and I was just going to go to MCC. And then I ended up applying. I thought I was applying to go to MCC, but I ended up doing it wrong and I applied (laughs) to Chandler Gilbert Community College (laughs) instead. And so, but it felt right. And so I think, I don't know my why, I think... I think it's just a lot easier for me to receive revelation from my heavenly father because I developed, you know, that relationship with him. And also I really know how he speaks to me. And so I can like very easily and immediately tell when something is right and when something is wrong. And so I think that's something that I'm really grateful for that. I have that gift is that if I know when I'm going in the right direction and I know when I'm not. That's a huge gift. I wanted to, this is like kind of like a shot in the dark. So you may have an answer or not, but your, your life was going one way before that you wanted to go to college and play volleyball. And then you went to EFY and had this, this experience that got you on a mission, but then missions are difficult and you've got to be like all in. What was like the turning point of your mission when it went from something that maybe was difficult or hard to do or hard to put your, your like whole heart in to like, I'm in this, like I want to serve people. I think it was probably my second or third week when I was in the MTC. I got to go to the women's session of general conference right before my mission. So that was like, I don't know, October 3rd and I left the 23rd. And the night before I was flying to Utah, I went into my brother's room and I was just crying. And I was like, Miles, I don't want to go on a mission anymore. 
because it was really hard. I was seeing all my friends and they were putting on their Instagram stories, like all their jerseys and like their new shoes. Because they they signed with a school or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw like their locker room and that was really hard for me because I was like, at this point I was like, I still didn't want to go on a mission. I was like going, you know, I'm like, it'll be fun. But deep down I was like, this is, I was like, this isn't what I want to do. And my brother was like, Corinne, What's more important, going on a mission or playing volleyball? And I was like, I'm not even a dude. I don't even have to go. (laughs) 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 And he told me, he's like, Corinne, why don't you go pray? And Heavenly Father will give you an answer at general conference. And I was like, Miles, there's no one that is going to give a talk about how someone wanted to go on a mission. Well, didn't want to go on a mission and wanted to play sports. I'm like, good. Like, yeah, like that's going to (laughs) happen. Because you know, if you look at the, I think it's the October 2018 general conference and it's the... It's either the first or the second talk from the Saturday session. Um, I think it's a nine minute talk and it talks about how there's this girl and her parents got called to be mission presidents and she wanted to play basketball Mm -hmm. and she really had that change of heart. And then she didn't want to go on a mission because she had already served there. And then she said that the Lord had called her to serve. And after I heard that talk, I was like, okay, I need to have more faith. And then once I was in Mexico and I had been there for about three weeks, I really just realized that, that I loved Spanish and I had already... I already loved the people in Tennessee and I loved my teachers. And I was like, you know, I sacrificed so much to be here that I'm going to give everything that I have. That's awesome. I think there's one, one important thing too, that somebody had said this to me when I came home and I always share it to the people who I, I meet who have come home. It's the Lord will never forget what you gave him. Right. And so, yeah leaving and seeing all your friends posting their jerseys and their shoes. That was really hard. Right. But like miles had said, you know, what's more important that you chose to serve the Lord. He'll never forget that. And whether that pays off 10 years from now, or it's already paying off, he'll never forget it. Oh, I'm sure it's already paying off. Like there's, there's going to be a girl that's going to be listening to this or a guy that is considering going, you know, playing a sport in college versus going on a mission. What would you tell him? having just gone through that. <laughs> that it is going to be really hard. Like, and sometimes it still is hard. Um, like sometimes it's still really hard for me to go to like my friend's volleyball tournaments and watch them because it's something that I always wanted to do. And it was always my dream, but I think it's important to always remember that Heavenly Father knows so much more than we do. And he has this giant plan. And now looking back, I can't imagine my life without my mission, the things that I learned, the people that I met, the people that really impacted and changed my life, the people that, that I impacted, you know, I wouldn't trade that for the world. I wouldn't change that for a national championship. I wouldn't change that for a ring. I wouldn't change that for a brand new Jersey, a cool backpack. <laughs> like it's a mission is something that it's just indescribable sometimes. Yeah. You know, we, we try to on this podcast. I don't know if we can get it all. <laughs> I had to, there's a different way that I, I described it. Cause I was kind of in the same, you sound like you were a lot closer to playing college sports than I was. I was, it was like a dream of mine. Um, but all of that, no matter what is temporary, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, you get new shoes, you can do all that cool stuff. You get a new Jersey. Let's say you go pro, whatever. All that's temporary. The, the experiences that you have on your mission are eternal. Right. And so those relationships, again, (laughs) I think 
hearing the way you talked about Sam and knowing that you could have missed out on that opportunity had you pursued, right? Makes that experience with Sam worth, worth the sacrifice, worth the sacrifice for eternity. Yeah. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know? So yeah, I think, you know, if there's an athlete out there that's like, Ooh, I'm going to go play this or I'm going to go do that. Obviously it's ultimately their decision, but again, all of that's temporary. So principles are forever. That's right. <laughs> so what advice would you give to someone if they were to open up their mission call and it says the Tennessee Nashville mission Spanish speaking? That they just scored the jackpot. <laughs> they definitely did. But what yeah. advice would I give them? Yeah. I think, you know, in tennis, well, for the Spanish aspect of it, there it's not like Texas. It's not like Southern California where they're everywhere. If you're in downtown Nashville, um, there's Hispanics everywhere, but I didn't get to serve in downtown Nashville. I served in more of the outskirts, kind of the farmlands. And so you just have to be very dedicated if you want to learn the language and you have to have a lot of self-discipline to always speak the language and to, I don't know, try and find them because I would get transferred into an area and my companion would be like, there are no Hispanics. They don't live here. And I'm like, no, like we got called Spanish speaking mission. Like this is a Spanish area. Like there are Hispanics here and we'll find them. And it was really cool because I don't know, I had a lot of faith that you could always find Hispanics no matter what. And so I would always like pray to find Hispanics and especially men because I knew that they were lacking in the priesthood. And then after a couple of weeks or so, we would magically find a trailer park where there were a bunch of Hispanics and we would start teaching them. And so I think definitely just to have a lot of faith and never think that they're, they're not there. Um, let's see what else. I think also, um, there's probably a lot of areas where you'll do half English and half Spanish. And it's possible that you might get a companion that doesn't speak, you know, that language. And I think just developing, um, that relationship with your heavenly father and trusting in the spirit. And also just like praying for the gift of tongues, like always pray for it. And if you're never sure if it's like the right word, just say it because it probably is if the spirit brought it to your mind. That happened countless times where I did have a companion that was an English missionary because one of my companions, uh, she ended up having to go home in the middle of a transfer and there was an odd number of hermanas. So I was lucky enough to get put into a zebra is what they call it. And so the two of us were together for about two transfers and it was hard because I kind of felt like I was doing everything on my own and my companion didn't know any Spanish, but as we both really tried really hard to like trust in the Lord and to, to do our best, we were able to like find a lot of Hispanic people and to teach them. And I think that transfer is when my Spanish, you know, grew the most is when I had to be so diligent and had to be so dedicated because I realized it was just kind of me in the spirit in those lesson situations, but also, you know, the faith of my companion as she was praying. Awesome. Um, I think if I was to give anybody advice for going on a mission, I would definitely say that, you know, it's going to be hard, but it's definitely going to be worth it. Um, and I think to definitely be very, I don't know, very personal in your prayers. And something that I did throughout my whole mission was to always pray for charity and to always pray for the gift of tongues. And I think the gift of tongues is not just for when you're learning a language. I think it's for when you're speaking, you know, English or your native language as well. Um, because there are times where you're not going to know what that person needs to hear. But if you're praying for the gift of tongues, that, you know, the words that these people need to hear, they're just going to come out as long as you're 
diligent and you study and you try and live as close to spirit as you can. And as you love these people, they're going to be able to, to feel that and to have those spiritual experiences as you kind of create the environment where the spirit's able to touch their, touch their hearts. Awesome. Print wrapping up, would you mind sharing your, your testimony? I'd love to. I'll do it in Spanish. Okay. Um, yo sé que Dios es nuestro Padre Celestial y Él nos ama muchísimo. Y Él nos envió su Hijo Jesucristo a, a la tierra para expiar por nuestros propios pecados. Y yo sé que Dios siempre ha llamado profetas para dirigirnos y enseñarnos la verdad y también darnos um, consejos y cosas que pueden ayudarnos en un, en un mundo que tiene muchas aflicciones y peligros. Y sé que Jesucristo es nuestro Salvador y por medio de su expiación um, podemos arrepentirnos y también ser salvos. Y yo sé que por medio del de libro de Mormón podemos encontrar la verdad y la palabra de Dios. Y cuando seguimos en el camino de Dios podemos encontrar gozo y esperanza en ese mundo. Y yo sé que todas esas cosas son verdad por medio del Espíritu Santo. Y eso yo digo en el nombre de Jesucristo. Amén. Amén. Great. Thanks again for coming on. We appreciate it. You're Thank welcome. you. We're going to post this episode on Sunday. Until then, like and subscribe and share with your family and friends. Thank you.